Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Alhamdulillah, since last Ramadan, over 4 million people have benefited from, listened to, and downloaded the Qalam Podcast. Tens of thousands of people have benefited from and learned from the various classes, intensives, and seminars that Qalam provides. And inshallah, this Ramadan will be providing even more beneficial content, lectures, and programming for people all around the world, free of any cost or charge to them. In order for us to keep doing this work, we need your support, we need your help, we need you to be our partners in this Sadaqah Jariyah. Please go to supportqalam.com. That's support, Q-A-L-A-M, supportqalam.com, and provide your most generous support. Millions of people all around the world are insha'Allah, bi'idnillah, going to benefit from all of this work, and this will be your sadaqah jariyah for the eternal life of the hereafter. We really appreciate having you as part of the Qalam team and supporting us in this work, this mission, this cause. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihin ladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatam il anbiya. Wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi laskiya. Amma ba'd. The great companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Anas bin Malik radiallahu inherited or received certain servants as a portion from the spoils of war. Khalid bin Walid radiallahu was the general and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened the lands at his hands. So from there, the spoils of war were then brought back to Medina Munawwara. And as instructed by Allah in His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, were distributed among the Muslims. Anas received a particular slave who was a very pious and righteous man, who spent his day worshipping and his night also in worship. Great intelligence, someone that had a lot of greatness ahead of him. So he put him into a contract and said, if you are able to pay off this amount, you can be free. The benefit here would be the one that would own, would now be given a sum. And secondly, it would also push the people who were looking for their freedom to force their way into the workplace and into the world. So once they did give their freedom, they can continue moving forward. This is a system of Mukatama. So he was able to pay off the amount and therefore became free. As he became free, he then had a desire to get married. And there was a young lady who was under the service and ownership of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq by the name Hafsa. He said to her that I'm interested in marrying you he sought permission from Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq And this man, Sirin, married this lady, Hafsa. The two of them lived a very beautiful life in Medina Munawwara. However, later, 
they relocated to Basra. And in Basra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with multiple children. From them was a great giant and tabi'i by the name of Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Sirin rahimahullahu ta'ala. He was a pillar of his time, a powerhouse of knowledge. The tarbiyah that this household provided for the kids was very special because not only was their son a pious man, but if you were to read the works on biographies, you will find that in the names of the tabaqat of the ulama, along with Muhammad ibn Sirin, his sister's name is there as well. And they say regarding her, Last night as I was preparing for today's talk, I was reading the biography of Ibn Sirin, and I kept going into his sister's biography, because the two are very similar. And every time I opened a book and read about his sister, one thing they agreed on was that there was no one that could match her in piety. That she was never seen leaving her house. She dedicated her entire life to Ibadah. On one side, this is the sister. On the other side, the brother is now in the circles of the muhaddithun. And he is now someone that is very trustworthy. And what he was known for was his dhabt. That when he would narrate something, he was very particular about the language that was being used when narrating. Now the interesting thing is, Ibn Sirin was a tabi'i. He studied from over 30 companions of Rasulullah And among them were great giants. Down the road from him, there was another great scholar who was in the same city at the same time and was just a few years age gap between the two. Ibn Sirin, according to most scholars, was born during the end of the Khilaf of Umar Uthman. Imam Dhahabi does quote a position stating that he was born at the end of the Khilaf of Umar. But then he quotes the second narration saying that there is another statement even though the first is narrated by his son Anas. The second one is that he was not born in the Khilaf of Umar, rather he was born towards the end of the Khilaf of Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan. And majority of the Muhaddithun gave preference to the second position. So in age, he was probably a little younger than Hassan al-Basri, who was the other powerhouse of Basra. Now try to picture this in your mind. On one side of the town, you have Muhammad ibn Sirin, right? And on the other side of the town, you have Hassan al-Basri. Hassan al-Basri is the top student of Ali radiallahu an, and Ibn Sirin is the top student of Sayyidina Anas bin Malik radiallahu an. Both of these great companions of Rasulullah and in their own respect, like children to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So you find that people were always comparing the two. That who is more knowledgeable? Who is more righteous? So among the muhaddithun, they would have this discuss discussion some of them would say that when it came to understanding the meaning, the mana of the narration, it was Hassan al-Basri. But when it came to the al-fad of the narrations, the actual words used in every narration, he took a very apparent approach, not like a dhahiri, but he would try to stick to the apparent of the riwayah, more in line with what we may consider as the written tradition scholars. And therefore, that was a unique thing to him. Someone once came to... Ibn Sirin. Ma'mar says the person came to Ibn Sirin. I saw as if a bird had swallowed a pearl. 
By the way, Ibn Sidin was very good at dreams. So this person comes to Muhammad ibn Sidin with a dream. I saw a dream that a bird swallowed a pearl. But then it spat the pearl out, and when it came out, the pearl was much larger than it when, it, when, he, when the bird originally swallowed it. And I saw a second bird. And had also swallowed a pearl. And when it spat it out, this pearl was actually smaller. I saw a third bird that swallowed a pearl. And when it spat it out, it was the same. So Ibn Sidin, now this child in dream interpretation, he says, as for the first bird that swallowed a pearl and spat it out greater than what it took in, this is the example of my dear friend Hassan al-Basri. That he is able to take something that he knows knowledge and go deep into it and present it in a much profound way. Like he's able to provide so much from one narration. As for the one that took knowledge and gave it out in a smaller form, that's me. Unfortunately, I have shortchanged you guys. This is, you know, humbleness and the way he saw himself. As for the third one, Qatada, Faqatada. Then this is Qatada bin Di'ama al-Sadusi. This is another scholar. Inshallah, one day we'll try to cover his biography as well, one of the great giants. Ibn Sirin was known for two things. One is his dedication to knowledge. And he was very particular because he lived at a time where there was a lot of bid'ah happening. There were, you know, people who were trying to innovate in the deen. One particular person says that I used to sit with Ibn Sidin, then I left Ibn Sidin and started sitting in the gatherings of scholars who were coming up with these new progressive ideas. I love this new Islam that was in, in place. So I started going to those gatherings and I was tired of Ibn Sidin. And then I saw a dream of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa body being carried for burial. So when he woke up, he went to Ibn Sirin and said to him, I saw this dream. And Ibn Sirin responded back to him by saying, this is you leaving our gatherings and going to the gatherings of the people of Bid'ah. They are taking the Prophet's sunnah to the graveyard. They're trying to end this. Stop the gatherings and come back to the gatherings of the Salaf, of these scholars who have actually studied with the Sahaba and have benefited from them. When it came to his worship, he was unparalleled. Long nights of prayer, unmatched recitation of the Quran with his heart really deeply connected. But as we see with all of these scholars, that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests them. And Muhammad ibn Sidin was also tested by Allah. However, I go to that test of his, I wanted to spend a few moments speaking about his personality. Imam Zahabi ta'ala, while describing the personality of Ibn Sirin, he says that he was a very jocular, happy person. He actually quotes a narration of someone saying that if you went to Ibn Sirin's gathering, you would come out of there crying out of laughter. That he would really bawl people out. And then on the other side of the road, if you went to Hassan al-Basri's gathering, you would come out of there crying out of grief and huzn. Because he would take you for a tour to the graveyard in his words. And you would see that when it came to the audiences that attended these gatherings, 
Hassan al-Basri had a different type of student, someone that was very sanjida and sincere and very committed and mature in their own way. And in Ibn Sirin's place, everyone was there. Like everyone from the market showed up. Everyone wanted to study hadith when it came to Ibn Sirin. It was because of his personality. He was a very likable, very fun, enjoyable person. He would always make everyone laugh. He would go to the markets and do dhikr of Allah and everyone would see him. He would go to the markets and say salam to people. He would go smile at people and wave at people. And this is a personality trait that made him so beloved to everyone. He was also known for dream interpretation and I don't think there's much to be debated on the issue. Most scholars agree that he was quite the master. Today you'll find a book dedicated to him on dream interpretations. It's probably the book that everyone reads. It's an interesting book because it's full of all sorts of interpretations and you know dreams. It seems as if majority of the scholars agree the attribution of this book to Ibn Sirin is not correct. Now they don't have any definitive proof to say the attribution is wrong, to be very clear here. What they're basing this off of is when you read the earlier biographical works and there is a mention of Ibn Sirin, there's no mention of this book. Whether you read the works of Ibn Kathir, whether you read the, read the works of Al-Dhahabi, they all agree he was a master in dream interpretation. Imam Dhahabi has a whole list of dreams and he has all the interpretations. It's a very fun read. It's enjoyable, fascinating. But he makes zero references to this tafsir al-Alam, this, this tafsir or this ta'bir or this book on dream interpretation. Wallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now let's go to the challenge of Ibn Sirin. Unfortunately, he found himself in prison. And he was actually imprisoned for an extended period. Now, if I were to ask you, why do you think this tabi'i was imprisoned? What would you say? Yes. He was falsely accused. I like that. What else? Just make up something. It doesn't need to be technical. The king doesn't like him. Politics. He maybe interpreted some dream in a wild way and people didn't like that. Like, you know, throw this guy in prison. His story is different. And I kid you not, when I read this story of Ibn Sidin, it almost made me cry because I realized that the struggle that he went through is a struggle that most of you have probably gone through. And unfortunately, the circumstances that he found himself in led him to no other place but prison. He was a business person. He had a big shipment. He ordered zayt oil. He purchased it from a particular lady. The quantity he ordered, he went over the top. He made a very big order. He ordered a 40,000 dirham container of oil. He was a business, he wanted to make money. When the product came and he was examining it, he found a dead rat. Now he was confused. He was, you know, conflicted. What do I do? On one side, a legal argument can be made that the oil was pure. He was very familiar with it. He is a scholar, right? I mean, Imam Muslim, he quotes him in the Muqaddimah, that be mindful of who you take your deen from. Al-Isnadu min al-Deen. He's a giant. He knows the deen. But spiritually speaking, he was conflicted because he wasn't sure what to do now. Should I go ahead and sell it? 
If I sell it, maybe haram product goes into the market. Thousands of Muslims eat from it. I'm accountable in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment for 100,000 people for the 40,000 dirham worth of oil. His conclusion was that he could not sell this product and he was going to spill it. And he spilled all the oil and was now in debt for 40,000 dirham to this lady. A bad business deal. The lady took him to court and the emir said, pay up. He was broke. So then the emir sentenced him to prison. And this great muhaddith and scholar therefore entered into sijin, entered into prison. His fellow prisoners were ashamed to see their sheikh walking with them. The guards would cry when they would see him. Because he was the scholar, the muhaddith, the mufassir, the mu'abbir. The prisoner would say to him, the, the guard would say to him, that sheikh, why don't you go home at night, you're old, go, go sleep with your family, you can come back here during the day if you'd like, but go home. And his response would be that I did wrong to a lady, and until my debt isn't paid off, I'm not going anywhere. It's her haq that I sit here, and I won't betray her. This is my fault. He used to hold himself accountable. He would say that the years that I spent in prison were a result of a sin that I committed. He was once talking to someone and there was a person that came in front of him and he said, Ya Muflis, he referred to that person as a poor man. And he said, maybe this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put me where I am. That my deeds were maybe washed out because of my words that I said to another Muslim. Holding himself accountable. We know very well that this was just life. But these people were reflective and they were deep. When Anas bin Malik radiallahu anh passed away, in his wasiyah he wrote, this particular reference is from Suwar min Hayat al-Tabi'in. When Anas radiallahu anh passed away, he wrote in his wasiyah that my janazah be led by Muhammad ibn Sidin. So they came to Sidin and they said that the great Sahabi of the Prophet of Allah passed away and he requested you lead the janazah. He said, I won't leave prison until that lady gives me permission. If she gives me permission, then I will go. Otherwise, I'm not going anywhere. I did her wrong. She granted him permission. He went and prayed, led the janazah, and came back to prison. He was in prison until someone actually said, you know what, enough is enough. You know what? I'm going to cover this debt. Get this scholar out of here. This is just wrong. Like, what? This is wrong. This man is a giant. He's a fountain of it. Get him out. I will take care of the debt. And it was at that point that Ibn Sirin gave that person so much dua because otherwise there was no way out for him from there. He made a lot of dua for this person. Continued to live a beautiful life serving the deen. And when he passed away on his deathbed, the advice he gave to his children, These were his last advice to his family members. Ibrahim gave this advice to his children before he passed away. Do not die unless you are Muslim. Today I give you that same advice as well. So today we spend the night with Muhammad ibn Sidin, living with him, reflecting on him. Understanding his challenges and seeing how upright and moral he was. He wasn't just a person of knowledge, but when push came to shove and when life came crumbling down, he remained stood. He stood strong and firm and committed to the teachings that he taught his entire life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all tawfiq and grant us an understanding and allow us to live like these great giants. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad.